0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Last week in our Antioch group, we meet on Sunday night at 5 p.m., I have a great Antioch group leader, Uh, he's a great guy and his wife, they're really the good people, Um, and we were meeting, uh, we meet normally on on Sunday nights at 5, and we're just sort of getting caught up, it had been a while since we all had been in the room together, and so we were chatting, and, and one of the ladies in our uh in our antioch group had recently taken a job she was a nurse taking some time off to be at home with the kids and now is sort of going back into that but the job she went back into is she's basically a liaison between the hospital slash home and hospice so she works the paperwork and, and gets all that transition uh done and so you know one we have well, that leads to really interesting conversations within our Antioch group as we're talking about how all that works and just things that I didn't know about hospice and hospitals and how they move people to hospice so the deaths under the hospice rather than under the hospital. And, oh, so we're talking through all this stuff, and it just comes out in the conversation that it's really important that everybody has a will. As this lady's now working this job and having worked nursing before and just seeing situations where people die and they don't have a will and the chaos that ensues from that, it was an encouragement to our Antioch group to get a will and to have a will. A will is a legally prepared and bound document that states your intentions for the distribution of your assets and wealth after death some would say that a will is the single most important document for you to have the reason the will is so important is because it gives direction after you're gone it takes the guesswork out of what people are to do with the things that you have and and where they're to go and to who they're to go it just it takes all that uncertainty out of that terrible situation. In many ways, John 13 through 16 is Jesus' last will and testament to his disciples and in return to us. Because Jesus knows what is to come for the disciples He wants to take the guesswork out of what it will look like in the days ahead when he has died and rose again and ascends back to heaven to be with his father. He he wants to take all of the guesswork out so that they know how life's to work and know what he has offered to them to help them as they continue this journey with them. Think about what these men There's 11 men up there with Jesus in the upper room. Think about what they're about to face. They will become the most unpopular men in the city. When Jesus comes down of the upper room and they head to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to become the most unpopular man. And so to be associated with Jesus in this moment will be to put a death sentence on your life. This is why Peter when he's asked, hey, didn't you hang out with Jesus? Peter's like, no, not me, right? Does it three times, why? Because to be associated with Jesus would have made them unpopular in that moment and, and put their head on the line as well. When Jesus rises from the dead, He'll go and appear to his disciples, these guys, and they're up in a room, an upper room again, and they're startled and frightened by Jesus's appearance to them. They think it's a spirit. They're not really sure what's going on in this this moment. After Jesus ascends into heaven, they'll gather again and the Holy Spirit will come on them and Pentecost happens where thousands of people come to Christ and the church is, is birthed and, and it begins to, to grow and as it begins to grow, what comes in their life? Persecution. Persecution against the church breaks out, conflict within the church becomes a big issue and people getting divided. And what history records for us is that the 11 guys that were in the room with Jesus on that night, 10 of them will die for their testimony of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Some will be hung upside down, um, all kinds of horrific deaths. The only one that won't die in that way will be the guy who's the author of the book we're studying, John. John will just be sent to an Isle of Patmos and that's where he'll write the book of Revelation. And, and so he'll, he'll still sort of suffer persecution, but not in the way that the others have. So what is Jesus going to leave for these guys that is going to give them what they need to live through the days ahead? Well, we know from last week that the first thing that Jesus left with them was another helper another of the same kind, right? Who would come to their aid and he would be with them forever. So as Jesus is saying, my physical presence is gonna leave, but I want you to know that I'm willing to you, the Holy Spirit who's gonna be present in each one of you. And he's gonna continue my ministry. He's gonna continue what we have started here together. But there's one more thing, There's one more gift, I should say, that Jesus wants to give them. Although we can't look in a magical ball and see what is coming for us, if we were to look at our lives, we know that we've lived through a season of uncertain and tumultuous times. Think about the last several years of our lives. We've went through a COVID crisis, race issues, political turmoil, educational issues, financial struggles, and this is just our own country. When you step back and look at the world, you see even more uncertainty and turmoils from wars and rumors of wars, from weather and the devastation of weather, from famines that are going on. Yesterday, I just thought, I'm going to go to CNN. I don't typically go to CNN or Fox News, but I went out there to see, like, what are the headlines? And you go to read the headlines of the things that are going on, and it's just turmoil, right? It's the war in Russia and Ukraine. It's the high gas prices. It's the, there's another bigger threat than Russia for us, which, aka China, right? And so, just all this uncertainty and turmoil when you read the headlines, And the reality is this doesn't even include our own personal struggles, death of family members, sickness, mental health issues, relational struggles. We find ourselves in uncertain times and turmoil in our life. What do we desire most? Well, I I think if we're probably really honest with each other, we want peace whether it's a personal struggle or it's a struggle in our country or it's a struggle in the world, I think we all would say we desire peace. And when we think of peace, I think we all think of the absence of uncertainty. Peace is when everything's working out as planned. Uh, peace is the idea of that there's no turmoil, right? That, I mean, when we talk about peace in our home as, as a family, that's the idea. <laughs> Peace at home in our families when the kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing right and everything's going as planned and, and everything's working. That, that's in my mind. And I think in your mind, that's a lot of times how we view peace. But we know there's a problem with that. The problem is uncertainty and turmoil is going to keep coming in our lives. Just as soon as a certain crisis is averted, another one starts up. Just as soon as one war ends, another one starts. Just as soon as we get through one financial crisis, another financial crisis comes. Just as soon as we conquer cancer, it comes back again. Like we know this is how life, if we're really honest, as hard as it is sometimes to be honest about how life works we know that that's the problem with peace that is circumstantial or peace that is based on our surroundings is there's always gonna be uncertainty. There's always gonna be turmoil. So maybe the better question is how can we have peace in the midst of turmoil and uncertainty? What sets us apart as followers of Jesus Christ? I think the question we must ask ourselves is what difference does Jesus make in the life of his followers in times of uncertainty and turmoil? Like if, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, how do we view uncertainty? How do we view turmoil? How does the peace of Christ affect our lives? My fear is that when it comes to these types of things is there's not much difference between the world and us. That we think the same way the world thinks about peace rather than thinking like Christ and thinking what his desire would be and what peace looks like in light of his word to us. And so today I want us to look at our section of scripture, John 14 through 23. John fourteen 27 twenty seven through 31 through this lens of what difference does Jesus make in our lives? I want you to stand with me as I read. I know Clint just read it for us, but it's okay for us to read it again to just get it in our hearts and our minds. I want the word of God to be the thing that sinks into your heart and mind. So when you leave this place, it's not what I said, it's what the word said, and it sticks in your heart and mind. So I'll read out loud, you follow along, but, but let's think about the uncertainty that's coming for these guys. They don't know it yet, right? But there's uncertainty coming for them. We would say, we understand, we live in times like that, but even if we're in a time of peace in our own life, there's going to be certain uncertainty coming, turmoil coming. So let's read it through this lens. Verse 27 to 31. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Father, I pray as we look at your word today and we talk about this idea of peace, that you would give us your perspective of peace, what your idea of peace is, not not what we would bring to the table and say this is what we think peace should look like, but as we think about you, And your word to us and your word to your disciples and knowing that all of these guys that are sitting around the table are going to be killed because they're followers of you. You knew the turmoil, you knew the uncertainty that would come in your life and and yet you still said these words to them. So there must be something, Lord, that you want us to learn about peace as we go through uncertainty and turmoil, there's something that you have for us today from your word. And so I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, give us a heart that is receptive to your word. And then I'm asking that you would give us the courage to be obedient to your word in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus begins this second will of his, And he says, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. Now, let me just give you a quick definition of peace. In the Greek, this is arene, and the idea of it is to be put together, uh, to be complete is the idea. It, It really ties in with the Old Testament word shalom that you hear people use often, and it's the idea shalom is to be complete or to be whole. So they just kept the translation going here, and this word in the New Testament has the same idea of being to join together or to be complete. A a word that we could use today is the idea of if we have peace in our life, we have it all together. that, That would be a modern way that we would say it. Now, obviously, we know we don't have it all together, but inwardly, it's the idea of peace gives us this inwardness of having life, having it all together. So as we're going through uncertain times, as we're going through difficult times, we can have it all together. That's the idea of this word peace so i want to make three observations about the peace of christ in regards to our lives and how it works out in our lives from jesus's words to his disciples here and in in turn in return to to us so the first thing that i want you to notice in verse 27 is that the peace of christ is a gift the peace of christ is a gift jesus says peace having it all together I leave with you, my peace being complete, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. The peace of Christ is a gift that has been offered to us. Jesus says, I give this peace to you. The gift of peace that Jesus offers his disciples comes through him. He is the creator the author, the giver, and the sustainer of peace. So what Jesus is saying is, first and foremost, you must understand that the peace of Christ is having peace with God. It's a vertical peace, first and foremost. Paul would help us understand this in Romans chapter 5. In verse 1, Paul makes this statement. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." So Paul tells the Roman believers, how do you have peace with God? Well, it comes through Jesus Christ. It is a gift that has been given. He uses the word justified as a means to help us understand how we receive this gift. To be justified is to understand this, that you and I are enemies of God. And because we're enemies of God, we don't have peace with God. Hence, Russia and Ukraine. There's no peace there. Why? Because they're enemies with each other. At least Putin wants to be an enemy with Ukraine. And so there's this unsettledness, right? And so in our lives individually, we are sinners. And so we are enemies of God and we don't have peace with God. Well, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make peace with God. Someone has to come to make peace for us. And that person was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and the Bible says that he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And why did he do that? So that we could have peace with God. So when he says you are justified, what he's saying is in a court of law, you are declared righteous, not on your own goodness, but on the goodness and on the grace of Jesus Christ. So Paul would say in Ephesians 2, eight and nine, for by grace, you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any one should boast so this peace with God comes through the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus is wanting to make this clear to his disciples that the peace that I am offering to you comes from me and it is a it is a gift and so the question i would have for you is do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ you will never have vertical or horizontal peace, peace with others. You will never have peace in your own heart and soul until you have peace with God. And you have to see that as a gift that he is offering to you to receive, to take for yourself. So he wants his disciples and he wants you to understand that the peace that he is offering is a gift for you to receive. Do you have the peace of Christ in your life. Have you received that gift? Well, if there's turmoil in your heart and life, if you you realize there's something missing in your heart and life, you realize that you're a sinner and that you need someone to save you from your sins, that's where Jesus comes in and offers this peace to you. But what's interesting about the peace of Christ is that it's a gift, but it's a unique gift. And how do we see that it's a unique gift? It's because Jesus makes this statement, not as the world gives, do I give to you. What does Jesus mean by that? What is he talking about when he says, okay, I'm giving you peace, but I'm not gonna give it to you as the world gives. What I believe that Jesus is saying to us here is that the peace of Christ is not something you earn. It's not something that you can, you know, do step one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then you get the peace of Christ. That the peace of Christ is a gift that you receive. So he doesn't give peace like the world gives peace. The world says to you, you need to have a certain number in your bank account before you can have peace. The world says you need to be at a certain level in your job in order to have peace. The world says you need to get a certain grade in school in order to have peace. The the world says you need to have a certain amount of followers in order to have peace. But Jesus says, my peace is not that way. My peace is a gift that you receive. My peace is not something that you have to earn. It's not circumstantial. It's not situational. My peace is a gift that you received. Have you received that gift of the peace of Christ? It's important that the disciples understood that in the moment as they're going to move into this dark moment in their life, that this peace that Christ was offering was a gift. It wasn't something they earned they couldn't go to church and read their Bible and pray and do all these things and all of a sudden, boom, they got the peace of Christ, right? It wasn't about being religious. It was about having a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and that is the, the peace of Christ is a gift that they then could receive through, through Jesus. So the first thing that I think Jesus wanted them to know is that the peace of Christ is a gift. The second thing is that the peace of Christ is a choice. Look at how Jesus says this to them. So he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's saying to them, you have to make the choice. When it comes to my peace, you have to make the choice to receive the peace of Christ. He'd already said this idea of let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid in chapter 14 and verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God. Jesus is using imperatives here. He's using it as commands. He's saying, you have a choice. And the peace of Christ is available to you, but you must receive it. You you must take the peace of Christ. You, You have to take yourself in hand and let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is commanding them to receive the peace of Christ. Don't let it just sit on the table, right? Use the peace of Christ. It's available to you. Make the choice. Don't let your hearts be troubled. When you go through the moment when I'm the most unpopular and to be associated with you is is not a good thing. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. And I love it because Jesus knew the heart of his disciples. He knew sitting in this room with them, even though they weren't verbalizing it, he knew their heart well enough to know that anxiety was welling up in their heart, that that they were beginning to be afraid about what was to come. And Jesus says, listen, the peace, my peace is a choice that you make. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus calls out in verse 28, their selfishness, When he says this, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the father for the father is greater than I. And so what Jesus does here is he calls out the the disciples shallow faith. He, He says, you are so consumed with yourself that your heart has become troubled, that your heart has become fearful. You're looking inwardly, you're you're, as Paul Tripp would say, you're navel gazing so much that you're not seeing that the peace of Christ is a choice that you can make. That you're only thinking about yourself in this moment. You're being self-centered. You're, you're only thinking about yourself, guys. And if you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going away. Why, why did he say that? Well, We know later it's going to be because the Holy Spirit's going to come. But I think in this moment is they were only looking out for their self-interest. And if they were looking out for the interest of Jesus, where does he belong? He belongs in heaven with his father. That was what was best for Jesus. And instead of being focused on Jesus in this moment and the turmoil that he's about to face, they were focused on themselves. And they were looking inwardly and saying, boy, this is going to be really hard for us when Jesus goes away. And Jesus was like, man, guys, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going away. You would rejoice that I'm going back to my father because what that means then is I've completed the mission that my father has sent me to do. This is why he says after that, um, at the end of verse 28, for the father is greater than I. Some have used this phrase in this text to say that Jesus is not God, right? They've said, well, here, Jesus is obviously claiming not to be God because he's saying the father is greater than I. Well, I, I think that would go against some other scriptures where Jesus does claim to be God. One is J- John ten, and verse thirty, where he says, "I and the Father are one." In, in John chapter fourteen, this what we're studying here, and in, in, in verse um, in verse eleven, he says, "Believe me." that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he's claiming association and on being on the same level with God. Earlier in the text, even in John chapter six, they come, is, is my mic popping? Do I need to move it down? Does everybody hear that or is that just me? You hear it too? Okay, I'm gonna try to move it because I keep playing with it and it's annoying me. Is that better, Jimmy? Right there? We'll see if that works. It's my fault, so um, but we'll, we'll see if that works. So what Jesus is saying here by the fact that the Father is greater than I is he's not saying that he is not God. What he is saying in this moment is he's saying that the Father's will is better for me to do. That's what he's saying by this, that he is in essence submitting to the father's will, which will be his death on the cross. So that's why the disciples are so self-centered and all they're thinking about is themselves. And Jesus is saying to them, no, 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 listen. It's greater that I go to my father because my father is greater than I. I'm doing what my father has sent me to do. I'm doing the will of my, my father. Jesus has already brought this out in John chapter 12 in verse 27 and 28. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is submitting to his father and saying, I trust the father. And if this is his plan, he's greater than I, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. This is a beautiful thing about the Trinity and how it works, is that Jesus submits to the Father and the, the Spirit submits to the Son and it's just this loving relationship. And I, I know sometimes this word submit gets thrown out there and it and it gets used in wrong context and wrong ways, but really submission is a Trinitarian thing that we see working within the Trinity, that they're submitting to each other. Even though they're equal, they're submitting to each other because it shows they're loving relationship. And that's what he is saying when he's saying the father is greater than I, he is saying, I am submitting to my father's will, which is my death on the cross for the sins of the world. But look at what he says then in verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place. So i am told you what the father's will is, and I'm going to be obedient to the father's will. I've told you before it takes place. Why? So that when it does take place, you may believe. What Jesus is saying to the guys is listen, the peace of Christ is a choice, and ultimately it comes down to trust. Trust. Just like I trust the father's heart that this is the best plan for me to die on the cross for the sins of the world and to come back to life, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer the grave, right? Like I know this is God's plan and I'm willing to submit to that because I trust the father's heart. So I have told you all these things that are coming so that you will trust me because see peace and trust go hand in hand. If there's a lack of peace in your life, I would propose to you today that there's a lack of trust in your life. Because the peace of Christ is a choice. In this moment, the disciples are going to have a choice to make. Are they going to trust God? Are they going to trust Jesus' words that this is all according to plan. That all the uncertainty that they're going to feel, all the turmoil that's going to come along, that this is all a part of God's plan and God's going to work it all together for good. Do they trust him? Will they believe him? He said, I'm telling you all this so that you will trust me. He's saying the peace of Christ is a choice and that choice is to trust God. Oftentimes we don't trust Because we take our eyes off of God and we put our eyes on ourselves. We do what the disciples were doing in this moment. And we're only thinking about ourselves when we go through uncertainty and we go through turmoil. And we're only looking inward rather than looking to Christ. What picture came to my mind was, have you ever watched a... uh, a person walk on a tight rope and they don't usually use ropes anymore. They use wires. Have you ever watched a person do that? Or have you ever watched a slack liner? They'll put uh, these cables between trees and they'll walk. I was sort of doing some research on this this week and there's this thing called high lining. So it's the same idea of slack lining, but you're way off the ground. High quote, quote, lining, right? And so you're way up in the air. And I was watching people do this between mountains. So they go and they hook this, 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 uh, you know, band between these two mountains and they walk across it. And when you watch them walk across it, it's pretty incredible because if you and I were to get out on that line, there would be no peace, right? Like we would be shaking so bad, the, you know, the wire or the line would just be vibrating uncontrollably. But when you watch these, these people walk across, it's amazing to see what peace they have. As they're thousands and thousands of feet in the air, and they're just calmly walking across the line. And so I wondered, like, how do they do that? How are they able to to walk across that line? How How do they have peace as they're going? And so I actually watched a YouTube video on how they do it. And here's what's really interesting about it. Do you know that when they walk across the line, they never look at their feet? They always look to where they are going, not where they're at. So the illustration that I was watching there was like there was a little orange dot at the other end and they were like just look at the orange dot when you watch them go on those slack lines they're all they're never looking down at their feet they're always looking up and they're making the choice to focus on what's in front of them not on what's currently going on and this is what Jesus is saying to us and to his disciples is we have a choice to make. Are we going to look and be have shallow faith and be self-interest and only look at us or are we going to lift our eyes and look at Jesus? Because Paul would say it this way in Colossians 3:15, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. What was Paul saying to the Colossian believers? Make the choice to keep your eyes on the peace of Christ. When uncertainty, when the line gets really wobbly, right, and your legs are shaking, and it feels like this is not going to go well, when the cloud, I mean, they're talking about when clouds come through, when the wind blows through, they keep their eyes focused on what's ahead of them. And when uncertainty and turmoil comes in our life, we have the choice to keep our eyes focused on Christ. This is why the author of Hebrews would say, as we run the race, how do we run the race? Well, verse two, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. We make that choice. So my question to you is, have you made that choice? Or do you allow CNN and Fox News and social media to just get you riled up, that you just are looking at your feet and the line's really wobbly and you're losing sight of what the choice you have available to have the peace of Christ ruling your hearts? Like let's make the choice. Let's let not our hearts be troubled. Let's not be afraid. Why? Because we know Christ and he's offered this gift of peace to us. The peace of Christ is a gift. The peace of Christ is a choice. And then the last is the peace of Christ is our hope. Look at verse 30 and uh, 31. He says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. What Jesus says is a cosmic battle is about to break out between the ruler of this world, Satan, and the creator of the world, Jesus. And Satan is walking into this battle thinking that he has the upper hand and that he's going to win the battle. But what he doesn't realize is that he has no shot, right? He has no shot to win this battle. And so Jesus wants to remind his disciples that, yeah, this battle's going to take place, but I want you to know he has no claim on me. He is not going to win the battle. Here's the really cool thing about this phrase, he has no claim on me. It is an idiom that often occurs in legal context and means something like he has nothing over me. So when Jesus is saying if the devil were to take him to court, there would be no surprise witnesses. There would be no damning evidence that would come out that would allow the devil to say, look, I told you he really wasn't who he said he was. Why? Because it says that Jesus loved his father and we know that he loved his father and that he was obedient to obey his command. In fact, he was obedient to obey him even to his death on the cross. And so Satan has no claim on him. Satan's not gonna pull out a trump card and say like, I told you, he really wasn't who he said he was. He has no claim on him. And Jesus says, but I do as the father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. How do we know that Jesus loved his dad? He was obedient. Doesn't that take us back to his example to us and his call to us? If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments, Right? Jesus is living that out for us. He's saying, the way you know I love my father is I do what he tells me to do. And ultimately, I would say that Jesus is coming to earth. Yes, the byproduct of Jesus coming is that we have a, can have a right relationship with God. But ultimately he came because he loved his father first and foremost. And because he loved his father, it turned out good for us. And we wanna make it all about us when really it is all about God. And this is the hope that we have. The peace of Christ is our hope because Jesus loved his father enough to die on the cross for our sins. So the peace of Christ was not the absence of uncertainty and trouble, Aka the cross would come for Jesus. The peace of Christ is His victory over the over death, right? His victory over the devil. His victory over sin. Here's how D. A. Carson puts it in his commentary on this: The peace Jesus promises does not avoid trouble; it triumphs over it. The peace Jesus promises does not avoid trouble. The peace Jesus promises triumphs over it. So think about it this way. If in history's darkest hour, Jesus dying on the cross, Satan and evil did not have the upper hand or were not in charge in that moment, right? If if that is true, then we have hope in the peace of Christ that in our darkest hour, Satan and evil are not in charge either. He doesn't win the day. Satan and evil don't get the final word. So as you walk through the uncertainty and the turmoil of life, Satan doesn't win. He has no claim on us. How do we say that? Well, because as being followers of Jesus and being in Christ, as Satan had no claim over Christ, so he has no claim over us. This is the peace of Christ being our hope. That if... In Jesus' darkest hour, Satan would have no claim over him. So as we go through the uncertainty and the turmoil of life, Satan has no claim over us because of Jesus, and we have hope. And in that hope, we have peace. Imagine it this way with me. You call me this week and say, Hey, Steve, can you come over to our house? I want to talk to you about some financial uncertainty and turmoil that we have in our life and I just we need somebody to talk to and a pastor is a good guy to talk to about this I guess so we're going to have you over to talk about it we come I come over to your house and we sit down at your kitchen table and you begin to just pour your heart out about the financial uncertainty and how there's a lot of bills piling up and hospital bills and, and the job's just not cutting it anymore and I've lost wages and all this kind of stuff. You're just, you're just like spewing out all of the, the uncertainty and the turmoil and how the finances has led to your marriage struggling and your kids. There's just a lot of dissension or uh, tension in the home because of this as well. And so you, you, for about an hour, you just pour your heart out. Well, as we're talking here, I notice on the table that there's a, a Visa gift card. And just, you know, as we're talking about finances, I ask you the question, like, what's that Visa gift card from? And you say, well, in part of the turmoil over the last month is I lost my father. And, and as they were doing all the eternity, the will stuff that this came from the lawyer's office that my father had willed us some money and he put it on that Visa gift card and he wanted it put on that Visa gift card and so they sent it to me and um, I, I just haven't looked into it because it just makes my heart hurt, right? Because that's my dad and I don't want to think about his death and it's like, well, you know, here we're talking about financial struggles. Maybe it would be a good idea for you to check out and see how much is on that card. So you pick up the gift card and you call the number on the back and you enter the card number and you enter the pin number. And when you hear the amount on the other end, your blood just runs out of your face, right? You turn white. And it's almost like a feeling of shock. So you don't say anything, and but you take your phone and you hang up and I see you redialing again and entering the numbers again and entering the pen. And you listen again to the amount that's on the Visa gift card. And I ask you, well, listen, I know obviously something weird's going on. Like how much is on that gift card? And you'll say to me, Steve, you can't believe it, but there's enough to cover all the uncertainty, financial uncertainty that we have in our life. In fact, there's so much on the Visa gift card that we could live off of it for the rest of our lives. You see, sitting right there on the table was all that they needed in their moment of uncertainty and turmoil. But they had to make the choice to receive the gift that was given to them. And when they received the gift, hope welled up in their heart. This is the peace of Christ that is available to you. Why do you continue to live in turmoil and uncertainty when the peace of Christ is sitting on the table? Just make the choice to receive the gift. Choose to use it in your life and when you do it, you will find that hope will well up in your hearts because you will realize listen, the world can be going insane around me but there's this having it all together in my heart because the peace of Christ is ruling it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that's speaks so clearly into the moments of our lives. It's amazing that as John would record this gospel for us and he would think back to that upper room, he would think back to your final will and testament to them, that you would bring to his mind not just that you've willed us the Holy Spirit, but that you've also willed us your peace. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've given us your peace. What a great gift it is. But I pray, Lord, that we would choose as your people to use that gift. I really believe that the thing that should set Antioch apart from the world around us is this peace of Christ. That we don't stand at the water cooler and and wring our hands together because we're so afraid and, and fearful. But we stand there with confidence not because we've got it all together in and of ourselves, but because you have given us peace. You have put us together You are the one that makes us complete. And so when we look at the world around us and it's falling apart, we know that you are working it all together for your glory and for our good. So I pray that you would remind our church of that today. If there's anyone in this room or watching online that the peace of Christ has never invaded their life, then I would ask that today, Lord, they would... Realize that they are an enemy of yours. But through Jesus, they can become a friend. And when they become a friend with you, the thing, one of the things that you give them is this peace. And that today they would experience that hope that comes with the peace that you give. So draw their hearts to you. I pray that we as a church, Lord, would represent you well as we make the choice to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.